I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a story about one drug's growing grip on San Francisco and the misery and desperation it's causing. I had gotten some information about where Jessica might be in San Francisco, and I got on a plane and I went down there and I looked for her. I decided then and there I need to do everything I can to get her out of there and get her help. That voice that you just heard was Lori Steves. Several months ago, Lori decided to uproot her life in a Seattle suburb and move to San Francisco. Her goal, to somehow rescue her daughter, Jessica, who was in grave danger on the streets of San Francisco. Jessica's life revolved around the synthetic opioid fentanyl that has swept across the nation in recent years. Lori didn't want Jessica to die as so many fentanyl addicts have. I'm not sure what I'm up against, but I just hope that she's tired enough and that she's ready. As she began her journey to San Francisco to find her daughter, Chronicle reporter Heather Knight and photographer Gabrielle Lurie followed her. But as they found, Lori had no idea what she would find. Heather and Gabrielle, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Heather, how did you meet Lori Steves, and why did you want to follow her as she moved to San Francisco? Lori contacted me out of the blue in April via email, and she said that um, she'd been referred to me by a pretty well-known deli owner named Adam Mesnick, who runs the deli board in the South of Market District. I've known Adam for several years covering San Francisco, and he cares a lot about um, people who are homeless and trying to get them help and pressuring City Hall um, to to take more action. So he knew Lori because he knows her daughter, Jessica, and he told Lori, you know, if you um, want your story out there, you should contact Heather Knight at the Chronicle. So she did. And Lori told me that she lived outside Seattle and had not spoken to her daughter, Jessica, in nine years. And she knew Jessica was homeless and living in the Tenderloin and addicted to fentanyl. And she really wanted to save her. And she thought the best way to do that was move to San Francisco. And what was really propelling Lori was that she lost another child, Zachary, to a fentanyl overdose in December. And she felt she just couldn't bear to lose another child. So she said that she was moving to San Francisco and she would like me to tell her story. And Gabrielle, we talk about Jessica being homeless in San Francisco. What does that mean? Where, Where exactly does she live? Does she find shelter at all? So Jessica bounces around a lot. She was in a hotel, the Monarch Hotel, for the majority of the time that we were following her. Um, That was a shelter-in-place hotel during the pandemic. But she has largely been homeless on the streets, um, sleeping on BART, falling asleep on the sidewalk. Um, She has a boyfriend who has an apartment, a single-room occupancy apartment, on Eddy Street, and she's allowed to stay there 10 nights a month. So she manages to be there, you know, a few days a week, and that's when she really rests up. Uh, she says that when she gets there, she just instantly falls asleep for maybe 20 hours at a time. Wow. All right, I want to play a clip of Lori. This is her first impression of San Francisco when she moved down and began to search for her daughter. I think it's just disheartening being down here and looking at all of this. It's like there's so many faces, there's so many people, and she could be any person huddled over getting high. Heather, tell us about what happens to Lori when she arrives in the city. How does she make a new life? Does she immediately start looking for her daughter? What happens? 
Lori moved here in mid-May. She drove her Chevy down to San Francisco, and via Craigslist, she had found a room for rent in a home in the Bayview. Um, she was pretty shocked immediately by all the price tags of pretty much everything here in San Francisco, including the room, which was $1,100 a month. She moved in there. She didn't have any work lined up when she got here, so she was quickly getting really worried about that. She found some cleaning jobs, cleaning people's homes on Craigslist, and she was looking for cooking jobs. Um, her main job up in Washington was um, cooking in a nursing home. So she was looking for cooking jobs here and just kind of scrambling to piece together enough money. But her main goal, of course, was to find Jessica. Um, she'd actually come to San Francisco in April uh, for a couple of days. Um, she flew down and uh, went on a search of the Tenderloin, didn't find Jessica, but she posted missing flyers all over the neighborhood um, with her daughter's face and her own phone number. And that's when Adam Mesnick, the deli board owner, saw the, those posters and contacted Lori. And he was really her only point of contact when she moved to the city. Uh, she met up with Adam and, and he told her he'd be on the lookout, but it was it was pretty hard to find Jessica for several weeks. All right. Before we get into how they find each other, I mean, this is not unusual, right? In San Francisco, there are parents who are constantly looking for their children or trying to connect. She's not the only one. Yes, and the last homeless count showed there are more than 8,000 unhoused people in San Francisco, and about 5,000 of them have literally nowhere to be. Um, the others are in hospitals, uh, shelters, jails, um, but there are about 5,000 just living on the sidewalks. And Jessica has been one of those until she temporarily got a spot in the shelter-in-place hotel. And I talked to a woman who works for Miracle Messages and tries to connect um, people with their relatives. If their relatives are searching for them, she'll kind of play detective. And she's been contacted already by more than 700 relatives around the country looking for their their lost children or other relatives in San Francisco. And she said one of the major... Um, kind of threads tying all those stories together is fentanyl, especially in the past few years. It's such a, a devastating drug and people become so addicted to it. Uh, they can immediately lose ties with their family and estrangement is pretty common. All right. Here's Lori describing her struggles to connect with Jessica in San Francisco. It's like the only time I seem to reach her, I randomly run into her on the street when I find her. It's, it's because I go out and I drive around and I look for her. And then uh, I'll be just about to give up, and then boom, there she is right across the street from me. And that's how I find her and see her. Gabrielle, Lori did find Jessica, right? How did that happen? Actually, Heather and I found Jessica first because Adam, the owner of the deli board, you know, messaged us saying that she was willing to meet us. And so we got a, a little taste of, you know, who she was her kind of a little bit of her history. And um, she was a little bit nervous to meet her mom. She wanted some time to sort of process that. And so Lori found out that we had seen her and she was pretty frustrated. So she just took it upon herself to um, go to the Tenderloin, ask people where she, where her daughter might be and wait. So she she drove downtown, parked at Turk and Hyde, and she just sat there watching people walk by and she said about 20 minutes later she she saw her out of the corner of her eye and she just yelled and ran across the street to go find her so um that was a pretty incredible moment and um they connected and spent time together what is it like to be there with jessica on the street what is it like to photograph her i mean she's in a really desperate situation 
So Jessica is a really spunky girl. She's funny. She's witty. And um, she is a fan of the limelight, but she's also not afraid to tell me when she doesn't want to be around me or um, when she doesn't want to be photographed. So I had to really tiptoe and earn her trust. Um, the Tenderloin is not an area that is super friendly to cameras or photographers. So uh, I really, I treaded lightly and um, I really just got to know her, spend time with her, show her that I respected her and um, explain to her that her side of the story was really important. Um, and eventually, you know, I think she, she thought that she, that it was worth telling her her part of the story and letting me come hang out with her. There were times where I would drive around the Tenderloin for six, seven hours and I couldn't find her. Um, and then there were other times I would show up and she would be right there. And I never knew if it was going to be the right day or moment. Um, but I just kept trying. I think we shared something in common with Lori, which is that it's really hard to make plans with somebody who has no phone and doesn't sleep regular hours and isn't usually in the same place and doesn't keep a schedule. Um, you know, most of our sources, uh, you, you plan to meet and you do, <laughs> but, um, this was all a matter of searching, searching, searching. And sometimes we'd find her and sometimes we wouldn't. Sometimes she was in the right frame of mind and sometimes she wasn't. So, um, it was kind of a luck of the draw. Yeah. And you begin to know people's hangouts and their roots and their routines. And so I actually got to know her drug dealers and because I spent so much time in the Tenderloin and I was able to call them or text them to find out any updates as to where she might be. And so becoming a fixture in that area is very helpful to finding someone. Um, but ultimately, I actually think that Adam who owns the deli board was crucial in connecting us because every time he would, he would see her, he would let me know. And that at least um, gave me a starting point. Heather, tell us a little bit about Lori too. I mean, she has this estranged daughter. She's had sort of a difficult life herself. How does she come to grips with the fact that she has a daughter in this situation? Lori was very different than Jessica as a source because she loved talking to us and um, she was always up for getting together, uh, very communicative. And she shared a lot about her own personal history. She told us that she was one of several children born to two parents who were addicted to alcohol, very strong, intense addictions, and uh, they were not able to raise their kids. And so she was in foster care from the age of six months Um she and her siblings were adopted by another family when she was about five. She had a, a very rough history, and she got pregnant with Jessica when she was 20, um, married a man who um, was a short-lived marriage, and I actually interviewed Jessica's father. Um, Lori and the father still to this day are bitter towards each other, and it was a very contentious divorce. He ended up getting custody of Jessica and her younger sister, Lauren, and um, Lori kind of fell away from their life. She saw them sometimes, but not frequently. And um, she ended up marrying a second time and having a son, Zachary, who she also left um, with his father when he was 16 to marry a third husband. And she talked a lot about her regrets of not being involved um, as much as she wishes she had been with her, with her children. And it seemed like she blamed herself for not being as active as a mother as she thinks she should have been in hindsight. All right, let's take a quick break on Fifth and Mission. When we come back, more with Heather Knight and Gabrielle Lurie. I feel very relieved right now. 
because I know where she is and I have some hope that she wants some help. She wants to get off the fentanyl and she doesn't want to die. Heather, Lori obviously hoped there would be some kind of breakthrough with her daughter, perhaps that she would lift her from the streets, take her back to Seattle, something like that, at least get her into treatment. But it wasn't like that, right? What was their relationship after they connected? So they connected the first time Gabrielle described when they um, saw each other on the street. They went to a Denny's after that, and they talked for a while and um, kind of seemed to be, you know, establishing a bit of a of a relationship. But it was just always so hard to, for Lori to connect with Jessica physically because it was always a matter of searching. And she actually didn't spend that much time with her um, over the course of the summer because it was so hard to find her. Um and a lot of the time, Jessica just didn't want her mother there. Um, they would, a lot of the times when I was with them, they would start arguing about pretty little things, um, like a lot of parents and kids do, but um, these arguments would just go in circles. One thing they fought about a lot was that Jessica has a very infected leg, and Lori was very um, desperate for her to get medical attention for that and kept saying, let's go to a hospital, let's go to a doctor, and Jessica kept saying, no, no, no. Um, Sometimes I felt like maybe Lori wasn't kind of backing off and just letting things take their own course. They would argue a lot, and I'd say that <laughs> kind of symbolized how they got along for several weeks. Gabrielle, you really got to know Jessica quite a bit during this experience. What was her point of view? What did she think of her mother's attempt at intervening, and how does she regard her own drug addiction? So Jessica didn't understand why her mom was there. She felt like it was totally out of the blue. And she thought that she was just trying to um, kind of make herself feel better, uh, that it was all about her mom. It wasn't actually about her, but it was about, um, you know, that she felt guilt and that she wanted to kind of clear her conscience. I think she felt like she needed to fix me in order to make herself feel better. Um, and so she just didn't really understand it. She felt that they didn't have a great connection. Um, I think that there was love there, but that it, it just, it wasn't enough for her. And um, she just couldn't really be bothered. Um, you know, Jessica is really smart, uh, funny, witty, and she um, she understands that she's a drug addict. She's very, she's able to be reflective and she knows that she she jumped from heroin to fentanyl about a year and a half or two years ago um, by accident she was doing crack and there was fentanyl laced in it and she said she had this kind of crazy out-of-body experience and she described kind of like this thing going up her spine and um, that it was kind of this ultimate bliss that she has now been trying to chase um but she says it's awful to be addicted to fentanyl, that she would never wish it on anyone, that she would never give it to anyone who's not, who hasn't done it before. Um, you know, she knows that people are dying all around her, that the statistics are very high and that she could be one of those numbers. Um, you know, but I think she just doesn't really know what to do. Here's Jessica talking about her life in San Francisco. Why the fuck would I leave here? When I have everything that takes care of me, give it right to here. me. Yeah, they, they, they take care of you here. As much as they people think that they don't or say that they don't. But they do. They do. And it might be enabling or, or 
being stuck bit. in a cycle a little bit, but it's better than not surviving. Heather, we hear Jessica there saying she has everything given to her in San Francisco. What does she mean by that? It looks like she's barely hanging on. And on the other hand, you know, she is allowed to live the way she's living in the center of the city. Yeah, she talked several times about how intellectually she knows leaving San Francisco would be the smart thing to do to get herself out of there, but that it's really hard. She described it as a vortex pulling her in um, because she said uh, several times she made comments about how um, it's so easy. She has, um, well, until recently she had the the housing provided in the shelter-in-place hotel, um, food, um, uh, harm reduction materials like foil and needles and um, things to to do the drugs more safely. Um, Pretty much anything she needs, she said, is given to her, and she described it as being a pretty easy life in that way, which I think a lot of readers were surprised by seeing these pictures and what life is like for her. Gabrielle captured that so clearly, but then to see the quotes that she thinks her life is pretty easy in a way were kind of um, striking. So I guess the question, though, is, is she given what she needs to do better? Well, that's the big question. Is City Hall doing the right thing? Is this compassionate or is this not compassionate? A lot of people would say the city needs to be tougher, but others say fentanyl addiction is a health crisis, not a criminal justice issue. Um, so, you know, it's this push and pull that nobody's really figured out the answer to. I think one thing that's pretty clear is that there could be a lot more treatment. Um, even if somebody is ready for treatment, we've written about this before, it's just really, really hard to access in San Francisco. It's not available. There are long waiting lists. The hours are pretty short. And um, if you, it's especially hard in the evenings and on weekends. Social workers have told me that if somebody, you know, has some situation, say they land in jail for some reason one night and that convinces them, like, you know, I really need to enter treatment they get out at midnight, there's nowhere to go. They can't get the treatment then. So by the time the treatment center's open, they may have lost all motivation. So you need to have the treatment available whenever somebody is willing to take it. I never saw anyone offer Jessica anything or ask her if she needed anything. Um, she was she was definitely getting, you know, materials like foil or straws uh, regularly, but was never offered any meaningful kind of help. It felt like there were Band-Aids everywhere, but no real solution. Um, You know, at one point, Lori turned to me and said, well, what if she says that she's ready to go to rehab? There's no bed for her. I don't know where I would even take her. So I think that there's just, there's so many layers to this. Um, You know, even Jessica would say that, okay, I'm going to go to the methadone clinic and I have to walk past all my drug dealers and all of my friends. I think that it seems easy, like, oh, they can just get off it by going on methadone. But, you know, they're part of a community, a community that exists very differently than ours, a bubble in which she can turn a corner and get whatever she needs um, and, you know, turn another corner and steal and then resell something. And so it's not just the drugs, it's also the lifestyle Um, So she has to relearn, you know, how to live in society. And I think that that is really hard in addition to trying to get clean. Heather, we want a happy ending to this story. We'd love to see Jessica get help, leave the city even. But this story did not have that ending, right? No. um, By August, Lori knew that this was a pretty futile attempt. She flat out said she doesn't want my help. 
her. I want her to try a little. I can't stop using for her. I can't even go to rehab for her. I'm just going to go home and start saving for another funeral. <laughs> and the other huge issue for Lori was that the money. Um, I think a big layer of this story was is how hard it is for somebody who, you know, makes, say, $18 an hour, $20 an hour as a cook to survive in this city. Um, and Lori wasn't offered any help either. Um, so she was just constantly scrambling for money between, you know, parking tickets or gas, which is so expensive or food, which is so expensive here. Um, she told me several times, like my bank account is down to $4. Um, and so between Jessica just not wanting her help and the finances, she was getting really depressed and, and realized this just wasn't working. And so she told her landlord and her boss that um, August 31st would be her last day in the city. And, and Gabrielle and I saw her take off across the Golden Gate Bridge. And she did indeed leave the city. Here's Lori on that decision to give up. I'm scared. I'm still scared that something could happen anytime. I wish I could say I was leaving having had success here. But I've done what I could. I, I came, I did my best. I'm leaving here knowing that, that I really did try. Heather and Gabrielle, having spent so much time with Jessica especially, are you worried about her moving forward? Yes, I think um, anybody who, who reads this story and sees those pictures would be worried about that. Uh, Jessica told us that she has overdosed 50 times and has been narcan each time to survive. Um, I think she knows it's a possibility. Lori definitely thinks it is. I'm sure we'll continue to follow what happens with them. And obviously we're hoping for the best, but um, but we don't know what's going to happen. Heather and Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. To read the story by Heather Knight and Gabrielle Lurie on Lori and Jessica, go to sfchronicle.com slash daughter. Thanks to Gabrielle and Heather for coming on, to Karen Creighton and Cecilia Lay for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.